We are so thankful that you have decided to join us for this week's message. As we begin a new two-part message, Jesus Wept. This week, Trey is teaching on the subject, Looking Through the Tears. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he began to openly weep. So let's listen in as we look into scripture to unlock the truths behind Jesus' tears. If you would, take a copy of God's Word and find your way to Luke 19. Luke chapter 19. What makes us cry? What makes us cry? Crying is almost always associated with some form of emotion. We might cry due to sadness, which could include mourning the loss of a loved one or the family pet. We might cry out of joy. It could be a happy cry. We might cry out of fear or pain or embarrassment. We might cry out of anger. Anybody in here just a mad crier? My wife's a mad crier. We might cry out of anger. We might cry out of frustration. There are any number of things that could evoke us to weeping. Some people cry more easily and more often, even over what could seem like the most simplest of things. Some people don't seem to cry at all. And if they do, it may just be nothing more than a few little tears, while some people cry as a release. They just let the tears flow. Others might see crying as a weakness, and they fight the tears back. But one thing that I find to be particularly interesting when you consider the act of bursting into tears is that it is uniquely human. No other part of creation sheds tears. We have a long-haired dachshund at home. And she can do something that makes me mad and I can chew her up one side and down the other. I can throw a shoe at her and she'll run and hide. But you know what she will never do? She will never burst into tears. The physical act of crying is something that is uniquely human in its nature. And it really doesn't matter how you feel about crying. We all experience things at times that reach down and touch a part of our soul that leads to such an intense welling up of emotion that the only way that it can be expressed is through tears. So crying is very often an indicator of inner distress within us. In Scripture, actually, there are only two detailed accounts of Jesus openly and publicly crying. There are times, I'm sure, in Jesus' life that he did cry. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us that there are various times that Jesus, in distress, cried out to the Father. Open crying, open weeping. But we only have two detailed accounts in Scripture that document Jesus openly and physically crying. And that first instance is recorded in John chapter 11, when one of Jesus' best friends died 
whose name was Lazarus. And that passage contains the shortest verse in all of Scripture. John chapter 11, verse 35, simply says this, Jesus wept, which sets the framework for our next two messages. Jesus wept. And the second instance that we see in Scripture is recorded here in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 41. So let me set this up for you, if I can, before we read the passage tonight. The past ten chapters of Luke have followed and documented Jesus' ministry on the earth. In chapter 18, he takes his disciples and they begin the process of heading towards Jerusalem. So he grabs his inner circle of guys and he says, come on guys, we're headed to Jerusalem. And on the way there, they go through a town called Jericho. And while they're passing through Jericho, they meet a man of particular interest whose name was Zacchaeus. And you might be familiar with Zacchaeus' story. He climbed up in the tree, right? For the Lord he wanted to see, because he was a short little dude, a wee little man. So he wanted to see Jesus, and he climbs up in the tree. And we know that Jesus walking by, looks up in the tree and sees Zacchaeus, calls him down, goes to his house, and salvation comes. And after that happens, in chapter 18, Jesus goes on and he tells a parable to explain some things to the disciples. It's the parable of the ten minas. And towards the end of that parable, he says something interesting. And it's a reference to himself. The parables that Jesus told were always teachings typically about the kingdom of God or the person of God, being him. And so Jesus tells the parable, and at the end he says something interesting. He makes a statement about how these people, you can go back and read the story, he says, these people did not want me to reign over them. And in the context of the story, Jesus is talking about himself. And so they pass on through Jericho. And as you get on into chapter 19, you see what's called the triumphal entry. Jesus is riding on the donkey and he's coming down the Mount of Olives and he's headed into the city of Jerusalem. And the people are shouting and praising. They're throwing their coats down. They're throwing the palm branches down because Jesus is victoriously coming in to Jerusalem. And when the city finally came into view, when Jerusalem finally came into Jesus' view, he began to weep openly and publicly. Luke 19, verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. You and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Tonight I want to speak on the subject of looking through the tears. What did Jesus see when he looked at Jerusalem that evoked so much emotion within him that it caused him to weep? And the first thing that I think that the text shows us is that Jesus saw their rejection of a relationship. So go back and look at verse 42. And let's see what God's Word says. Look at the first half of that verse. Jesus is speaking and He says, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make 
for peace. Keep in mind that as Jesus is approaching the city, He's weeping. Everybody else is shouting and praising while He's riding on that donkey into the city. But Jesus is sitting on top of it and He's weeping. I think that gets mixed up in this account, Matt. I think we see this as a, the triumphal entry. We think everybody's shouting and praising. They're having an awesome good time. And Jesus is just riding up. He's got a big smile on His face and He's just soaking up the attention. But that's not what Scripture shows us. The people are shouting and praising. and Jesus is openly weeping. As He is approaching the city, see it from His point of view. He's on the donkey and He's approaching the city. That means He's doing what? That means He's looking towards it. He's looking towards the city of Jerusalem. And what he saw as he looked towards that city was a people that he ultimately knew were going to reject him. He already knew they were going to reject him. He's not even in the city yet. And he says, would you, even you, know the things that make for peace? He's riding towards the city. He's looking at it and it's full of people and he knows they're going to reject the relationship that he ultimately came to have with them. And you may say, well, how did he know that already? Well, for starters, he's God. So that helps. He was 100% man, but he was also still 100% divine. But he had also just made a, a reference to rejection in the parable that he told earlier. If you look back in verse 27 of verse, we'll see where we're at, 19. He tells a parable, this is a verse that I, Reference earlier, and he says this, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them. He had already prophetically announced that he was going to be rejected, so he knew because he was God. But Jerusalem also had a history of rejecting those that God sent to them. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37 gives us a clue as to how we know that Jerusalem had a bad habit of rejecting these people that God had sent to them. Where are we at? We got the verse. Matthew 23, verse 37. There it is. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. Who were prophets? People that spoke of God. People that carried out His word. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often, this is Jesus speaking here as well. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. Jerusalem already had a history of condemning every messenger that God sent to them with a message of salvation. God's own people didn't even want Him. They rejected the relationship that He came to have with them. You know what rejection feels like? There's probably not very many people in here that cannot identify with some form of rejection. And having just come out of a extended series on relationships, I thought, what a great example of rejection. I was thinking about rejection, preparing this message, Blake, and thought back to my younger kid days when, you know, you would write the note to the girl that you liked and says, would you like to be my girlfriend? 
circle or check, you know, yes or no. But I'd already figured out that if you give the or as an option, oftentimes they would go for that. So I had wised up at this point, and I would just leave that part out and just go with yes, no. So you got to pick one. And I remember on one occasion, <laughs> finally getting up the courage. If you girls only knew the courage that it took for a guy to work up to even write that letter and then hand it to you, you would take it a little bit uh, easier on some of us. But I, I, this girl that I like, man, we were young. I mean, I was probably, I don't know, seven or eight years old. Like it even mattered then, right? But I was serious about it, you know. And so I, I wrote this note to this girl. I said, would you like me, my girlfriend? Yes, no. And I handed it to her. And the next day she gave it back. And she said, no. <laughs> and I remember to this day, seven, eight-year-old kid, 29 years old now, I remember the pain of that rejection. Stop laughing. It hurt. I remember the pain of that rejection when you feel so strongly for somebody. And really the only thing that you want back is for them to return that favor, to return those feelings, to return those emotions, but only to get back no. No, I don't feel that way. No, I don't want that relationship. Now can we begin to understand why Jesus broke into tears? He knew that they were rejecting the relationship that he desired to have with them. And Jesus, always being filled with compassion, couldn't take the pain that it struck his heart with. And shows us his vulnerability and begins to weep as he looks towards the sea. Looking through the tears, Jesus saw their rejection of a relationship. But the pain didn't end there for our Savior. Because as Jesus entered into the city, his viewpoint would have gradually changed. If you look at the second part of verse 42, he didn't just stay outside the city. He finally actually got there, uh, believe it or not. So in the second part of verse 42, we see Jesus coming into the city and he says, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus, as he gets into the city, he's no longer looking towards it. Now that he's inside the city, he's looking within. And what I mean by that is he's looking within the hearts of the people that are around him because we know our God is one who does not look at the outward appearance as man does, but he is a God that looks at the heart because that's where the relationship is. Relationships don't exist on the outside and the surface level. Relationships exist on the inside where the heart is. So Jesus gets inside the city and he's looking within the hearts of the people and he sees the hardness of their hearts. And the weeping continues. Here salvation stood right in their midst and they didn't even see him. They didn't even see him. Their hearts had become spiritually blind to the fact that the Savior of the world was standing right in their midst. If any certain group of people should have recognized Jesus, 
you would think it would have been his own chosen race. Would you not? Time after time, God had sent prophet after prophet to the city, to his people specifically. We just saw it in Matthew. Time after time, prophet after prophet sent and proclaimed the coming of the kingdom of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Yet these people's hearts were so hardened, they couldn't see him when he got there. They were so blinded, they didn't even notice when he walked right into their very homes. If anybody should have known who Jesus was, it should have been them. God had given them the prophets. God had given him his word, even detailing very specifically how the Son of God was going to come into the world. They should have known. They should have known. But these people had created their own image of what they wanted salvation to look like. And you know what the bad part of that is? Jesus didn't fit the description. There are, I believe, some of you here tonight that have created your own image of what you want salvation to look like in your life. You want salvation to come when you're ready. You want salvation to come after you've had some time to do your own thing for a little bit. And when you get to a point where you've decided now's the time, I'll get everything taken care of now. I'll get right with God when I get ready to. And you don't even realize because time and time again, God has shown up on your doorstep, but you've hardened your hearts because you've already got this preconceived notion of what you want salvation to look like in your life that you're missing out on the fact that He's standing right at your doorstep. And you've hardened your hearts to where you've been blinded spiritually. And can I tell you, that's a dangerous place to be. Because Jesus came into Jerusalem this time for the last time. There's only so much time left in our own lives before Jesus comes back again. And it's not going to be for the salvation of lost souls. It's going to be for His church. But I'm not just speaking to those of you that have rejected the relationship. I'm also speaking to those of you that are believers who have created an image of how you think your salvation should be worked out. You've created this image of how you want things to work in your own life. And yeah, you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you've surrendered your life to Him, but in a lot of ways you've put stipulations on that contract. Yeah, Jesus, you can have my life and do whatever you want to use me for, as long as it doesn't include a third world country, or leaving uh, the city of Florence, or anything that has anything to do with serving others. You put these stipulations, in, and you, God's trying to help you work out your salvation by giving you a plan and a destiny in your life, but you've hardened your hearts because you've got your own plans, because you've created your own image of how you want your salvation to be worked out. And I know what it's like to sit in the seat that you're in, because that's what everybody tells you to do at the college age, right? You've got to build this map of how your life is supposed to be worked out. It's not for you to figure out once you get out of college. You're supposed to already have it figured out by the time you get out. And so you build up this grand plan, these great blueprints of how your life is supposed to work, and you build these desires that you want to fulfill with your life, all the while somewhat deceiving ourselves, thinking that, we're wholeheartedly following the one who has saved us 
but not necessarily realizing that in the meantime our hearts have been hardened and we're really following our own image of what we created our salvation to look like when it's being worked out through our lives. So Jesus is weeping because he sees hardened hearts and all the people that are walking by him and looking through those tears. He sees one hardened heart after another. But sadly enough, the weeping doesn't stop there. Those of you that are angry criers, I believe Jesus was actually an angry crier in some regards because that's what we're fixing to see. So Jesus says, rode into the city and he's been looking towards it. Now he's gotten into the city and he's looked within the hearts of the people. And now that he's inside the city and he's looked within their hearts, he begins to look around at what's going on. And Jesus sees the third point of the message. He sees that ministry had become meaningless with these people. He takes a look around at what's going on and what he sees only leads to more weeping because he sees ministry going on, but it's, it's meaningless. And you have to skip down a little bit to verse 45. Jesus walks into the temple. He walks into his house, and look at what goes on. This is why I say I think Jesus at times was an angry crier. Because Jesus gets upset. And at the same time all of this is going on, I believe he's still weeping. He says he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer. You have made it a den of robbers. Jesus looks around and he sees ministry that had become meaningless. It's not changing lives. It's only being used for selfish gain. And these people weren't concerned with helping the poor and the weak and the needy. These people were concerned with helping their own lives, with profiting their own selves. Sure, you could come and get prayer for the right price. Hurting people all around. Lost and looking for a Savior. But all the religious people cared about was benefiting themselves and killing Jesus. No ministry. No effectiveness. No power behind it. Nobody's lives being changed. And I know you might be thinking along the same lines that I was when I was looking at this. I was like, God, there's no way that I would ever use your house in such a way as to only serve myself or benefit myself. But at the same time, we oftentimes make sure that we take the perfect picture to put on social media just so we can make sure that everybody else knows where I was at today. It's not necessarily to glorify my Savior. It's just because inside I'm somewhat prideful and selfish and I want everybody to know that I was a good boy or girl and I went to church today. We would rather, so oftentimes when it comes to experiencing God, we would rather people try to get that experience by our post to Instagram rather than personally inviting them. And what's more effective? What's the true ministry? And I thank God, you know, because I'm that weird dude that really doesn't even have any social media. And so I don't necessarily relate to that. I'm like, God, I would never use your house for personal gain. I would never use a place that you've consecrated and set apart to be holy to benefit myself. But how many times 
Do I come into this place with an attitude of I want things done the way that I want them to be done? How many times do I come in here with opinions or preferences about the way I think the ministry of the church should be operated? Maybe I'm the only one, but I don't think that I am. And we use God's house to selfishly profit our own desires. In the meantime, we kill the ministry that he's left behind for us to do. We're forgetting all about the people that are lost and looking for a Savior around us. Forget about the fact that Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And instead we get comfortable with the few that we have around us. And our ministry, in a lot of ways, has become meaningless and powerless. And it has no true impact on the world around us. And Jesus is weeping because... He sees this taking place. He sees broken ministry that was self-serving instead of self-denying. And it struck his heart. And so looking through the tears, Jesus saw a ministry that had become meaningless. But there's one last point. There's one last point. Jesus was weeping because not only did he look towards the city and see a people that were going to reject the relationship with him. Not only because once he got within the city and started looking within the hearts of the people, he saw that their hearts were hardened. Not only because once he started looking around, he saw a ministry that was meaningless, but because he also saw that just down the road stood the cross of Calvary. And he's weeping because he knows what awaits him this time in Jerusalem. This time he's not going to leave. This time there is going to be any more ministry. This time he's come to finish the work that he set out to do. And as he looks ahead, he sees the cross of Calvary. And he weeps because he knows what he is about to endure for the sake of the same people that he just looked upon, knowing that they would reject a relationship, knowing that their hearts were hardened, knowing that they were using his name to profit their own lives. But he was going to go to the cross for them all the same. All the same. And that shows the love of our Savior. Jesus knew what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. And he went anyway. Jesus knew that people would reject him. Jesus knew that their hearts had become hardened. Jesus knew that even to this day, people would still reject. People would still harden. And people would still use his name to selfishly profit themselves instead of glorify him. And yet he says, I don't care, I'll go anyway. I'll go anyway. Because I love him. And I have to imagine, what would it be like if Jesus sat on the front pew of our church services today? I wonder what kind of emotion we would see from him. I don't think that Jesus would ever sit through a church service today without weeping. Why? Because he knows as he sits right there in the midst of those who need him the most, there will still be those who reject.
Because He knows as He sits right there, there are still those that will harden their hearts against His plan and His desire for their lives. Because He knows as He sits right there and He looks around at what His church was supposed to be doing and He sees things that are meaningless and powerless because we selfishly use them for our own gain. And I believe Jesus will stand in our midst and weep bitterly. Thanks again for listening to the message. What a wonderful picture that shows the compassion and love that Jesus has for all people. He desires a relationship with all of us. So we encourage you, if you haven't already, give your life to Him. And be sure to join us again next week as we look at the second account we see of Jesus weeping.